Welcome to Holistic Ambition, where we talk with visionary leaders who are redefining what it means to be ambitious. We cover ways you can live with more well-being, meaning, and fun in your career, business, and relationships. I'm your host, Stephanie Toma, life coach for ambitious professionals and author of Confident Introvert. Today, I'm super excited to introduce Danielle Massey. She is an LMFT, a master shadow work practitioner, best-selling author, motivational speaker, and CEO of the Wellness Collective. The Wellness Collective is a holistic healing space in Philadelphia. Her signature shadow work program, the Create Your Light Academy, continues to help thousands of spiritual women unearth, remove, and heal unconscious blocks that are causing disconnects <clears throat> between their body, their body, mind, and energy. Danielle is the founder of Selfish Philly Conference, a self-care conference where hundreds of women gather annually to indulge in a day of expansion and growth and create the Shadow Seeker Certification Course that teaches spiritual leaders to become trauma-informed, certified shadow workers. Danielle has written for and been featured in New York Mag, The Cut, Shape Magazine, The Huffington Post, and BuzzFeed. And he is also a frequent guest on major news outlets and high-ranking podcasts. She is the creator of the Shadow Seekers Journal, the most highly sought-after shadow work journal in the market. And Danielle's newest book, Shadow Work, is already making waves in the healing world. All right. Oh, my gosh. You know, Danielle, I'm so excited for us to really just dive in about shadow work. For those that are a little newer, what is shadow work? How would you describe it? Yeah, I feel like TikTok has made a lot of people confused about what shadow work is. So at its core, shadow work is the process of going into the unconscious mind, which is the deepest level of your brain's consciousness. It's all the stuff that you've repressed and buried. And when we go down there, we actually want to remember things that have been forgotten. And while we do that, we want to actually heal them within your body so that they no longer have the impact that they once did. That's shadow work in a nutshell. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned this, this idea of shame and somatics. Uh, So I'm curious about shadow work and, you know, when it comes to being in the body, some viewers and listeners, maybe, maybe they know about ecstatic dance, this sort of like pain and free movement. Is that a part of it? Or can you tell us more about that piece? So it's an important part of healing, but it's not technically shadow work. In order for something to be shadow work, by definition, according to Carl Jung, who is the founder of shadow work and coined the term the shadow, we want to get into what's called the theta brainwave state in order to access repressed memories. There's a loop that happens for every single one of us. It's a part of our body's chemistry. It's called the subconscious feedback loop. The subconscious feedback loop is four parts. It's everything that we experience with all of our senses. That is something that we take in internally. It creates a chemical reaction in the brain known as emotions. That sets off a chemical reaction to the body, a physiological response. That's part three. And then physiological response sends a message back up to the brain. Your thoughts actually come from your gut. And what we want to do with shadow work is we want to go back to those early memories that were created from that loop, from those early experiences that you have. And we want to alter it completely by interrupting on one of those four levels of the loop. And when we can do that, we actually rewire the brain, which then creates that domino effect of healing all the other pieces, the emotions, we heal your physiological responses or that fight or flight, freeze or fawn response, and we change your thoughts for good. So that this is no longer existing. 
somatic practices, things like ecstatic dance, breath work, Reiki, they're a way of interrupting the subconscious feedback loop. The only issue that exists with any of those is you don't actually know where the root cause is. And so you will get triggered again. It helps for the short term and incredibly well, but it doesn't do as much for the long term in terms of our neurology and making these permanent shifts. But I do all of those practices regularly. Yes. Okay. So I love that you're making this distinction between what is more of a surface level uh, sort of fix, so to speak, versus something that's more sustained and at the root. And, you know, um, especially in the spiritual community, there is this element of bypassing where it's like, hey, focus on the light. And maybe, maybe that makes sense for people that have been sort of drowned in shadow work. Um, so I actually have two questions here. How can someone who feels like they are drowning in shadow work where they don't even see any light, how, do you recommend that that means they should keep going or they should take a break? And what do you have to say about those people that say just live in the light? Yeah. So let me start with the just live in the light people. It's so funny. I literally just posted an Instagram reel about this like half an hour before we hopped on. So my head is already here. Love and light is beautiful and it's really powerful. And it's also spiritual bypassing because when we talk about living in the light all the time, it's similar to the therapeutic term of toxic positivity. If we are always doing positive things, we're not actually having the full breadth of experience that we're meant to have as human beings. We have a lot of emotions and about half of them are negative emotions. And we're meant to live and experience each one of those. And so if we're trying to force ourselves to stay in the positive hundred percent of the time, what's happening is we're actually creating trauma in the body through way of repressing unconscious stuff. So all those emotions that we're rejecting, they're actually getting trapped within the physical body. So love and light is great 50% of the time and shadow work is great 50% of the time, which leads me to the first part of your question. We can't live in shadows either. We can't spend all of their, our time there. I'm the shadow queen. That's how people know me. I'm known for shadow work around the globe. I do not do shadow work every day. I do not live in the shadows. A lot of my life is easy and fun because we're here to be playful and to experience everything this life has to offer. So I think it's really important for people who are like stuck in a loop of healing and feel like they keep ripping the bandaid off and ripping the bandaid off to take a break. But then to also recognize that if you are not healing your shadows through shadow work the first time, you might not actually be doing shadow work the way it's meant to be done. You might actually be getting part of the way there, maybe like a fourth of the way to the root cause of the problem. And if you're not getting to the actual root cause, if you're not going to the root of the root of the root and ripping that out so that you never feel it again, it's not all the way shadow work. It's, it's stepping into it, which is still wonderful, but not fully there. So to that point of let's say someone that finds himself in that sort of loop where maybe they think that it's shadow work because they feel bad, right? Like just to kind of make it very simple, right? They're like, I feel really bad. So I must be doing shadow work. So I actually like to know, can it ever feel good during shadow work? And I'm curious, what are some ways that you've seen, has anyone ever come to you and maybe they're in this state of, oh my gosh, I'm doing so much shadow work. And I'm not seeing results, but they're not actually doing shadow work. And what are they? Yeah. Doing? 
So uh, this is such a funny thing because I get asked this all the time. Shadow work doesn't feel bad. And if you're actually doing shadow work, you should feel better. It should feel like a sense of relief when you're done. So when I take people into the shadows or when any of my students who are now shadow seekers, certified shadow workers, take their clients into the shadows, what will happen is we'll see really heavy moments, the worst things that have ever happened to you. I'll use myself as an example here. I had cervical cancer and I went through some really horrific experiences that led me to have PTSD, which is how I found shadow work. I found a shadow worker. She was brilliant. She was phenomenal. I speak about her a lot in my book. And when she took me down into the shadow, I relived some moments that were the worst moments of my life. And I didn't feel bad because if we're properly interrupting that subconscious feedback loop, we're changing all the things that are happening during the memory. So we're breathing differently. We're thinking about it differently. Different chemicals are being produced in the body and our sensory experience will be altered as a result of that. So if you're doing shadow work and it feels bad, stop. That's not the way to do it. You're doing it wrong. It shouldn't feel bad. At its lowest moments, you might purge tears because you're having some happy tears about letting it go. Or there might be a sense as you're going through something that's really, really like a key staple in your life, something that has really shaped the way that you see the world. It's going to make you take a step back and go, holy crap, this is not the way I thought things were. And now I have to kind of question my reality, which can be destabilizing at best. That can feel weird, but it shouldn't feel bad. Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to, let's say, I mean, this is a wonderful distinction that if let's say someone listening and watching is experiencing a lot of negative emotion coming at them to the point where you, they feel like, okay, this is not sustainable. Uh, they're probably doing something that is shadow work examples of modalities that are consistent with actual true shadow work. Yeah. I used to see this all the time when people first started coming to me before anybody knew me and what I was doing or really what shadow work was, people would come to me and they'd be like, okay, we're going to do some shadow work. I want like shadow work prompts. Shadow work prompts can only access the subconscious or the conscious mind. That's the best we can do there because when we're in a conscious state where we're writing and we're free journaling, even when you get into that space where your pen is flowing and you're not really thinking, the most you can access is the subconscious because the prefrontal cortex at the front of your mind is activated. By definition, we can't reach the unconscious mind from that state. So what'll happen is you'll bring up stuff. You'll remember moments that you haven't thought about in a while, but they've been sitting on the back burner of your mind somewhere clearly. When that happens, you're, there's no resolve at the end. You feel like you brought the stuff up to the surface and now it's like, well, now it's at the surface. What do I do with it? That doesn't feel good. And that's not really the way it's meant to be done. I do have a shadow work journal, but I always tell everyone the shadow work journal is meant to be done when you're leading into shadow work sessions. So you use that as a way to determine where you're going to go with your actual shadow work. And then you get into that meditative state and see the root. Yeah. So, okay. It kind of sounds like automatic writing and even accessing your intuition or not even intuition, but some subconscious thoughts through just allowing your pen to really flow. And, you know, I also appreciate that you brought up your uh, shadow work journal. I was lucky enough to be a recipient of one when I went to Selfish Philly. I think it was even a couple of years now, your first one. And yeah. you know, it was, it was freaking fun. 
You know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't just this like sob fest of we're, we're in dark shadows. It was a fun event. And, yeah. you know, I, I love for us to even, uh, you know, switch gears even a little and, and talk about when it comes to doing shadow work in community, there can be this idea that shadow work is something that you need to kind of, because maybe you're bringing up things that could elicit feelings of shame. Maybe it should be done privately. So yeah. Can you tell us about, uh, doing shadow work in community, both in person and online. I actually think that's the reason why I only work in groups now. I don't do any one-to-one shadow work with clients because when you're going through the hardest moments of your life and re-experiencing them and bringing them back up to the surface and feeling them in your body and moving through them, it's so incredibly validating to be surrounded by a group of people who are standing there beside you going, you're fine. We love you. This is something you're working through and we support you as you go through it. Or I've had that experience too. This happened to me. All of those things just make you feel so supported as you're going through it. I prefer shadow work in groups because I think when you're going through something really heavy and when I did my shadow work years ago with Allison Kelsey, I was alone. So we'd have these incredible, mind-blowing, world-altering sessions. And then she'd go, I'll see you next week. And we'd hang up and I'd close my computer because she was in England at the time. She lived in London and I lived in Philadelphia. And I'd go, well, now what? What do I do with that now that that's happened? So everything that I do, whether it's things like Selfish Philly, where we're going to unearth some dirt and really like sit in sisterly space or my group programs like Create Your Light Academy or my Shadow Seeker Certification course, there's always support afterwards through processing it together holding space for each other for a couple of hours. We have that opportunity to be there in each other's energy and just help each other through and then support all the time afterwards where it doesn't really end when that moment is over. There's always someone to reach out to and people to talk to in the in-between because shadow work is paradigm shifting, which means that your entire way of seeing the world is going to be altered and you need support with that. And when it comes to beginning to be more vocal about things that maybe once were unspeakable, right? Those deeper level traumas, those uh, those events that maybe have been pushed so deeply into the subconscious that now they're resurfacing. Uh, you know, it, it can be a delicate place to begin to speak about those things. So I'd love us to go into, you know, who to speak with, who to not speak with about those certain things and how to handle a scenario in which maybe someone is le- less empathetic but more in a comparison of, oh, well, that reminds me instead of saying, oh, me too. Oh, but actually my trauma is deeper. Yeah. I think a lot of people go through that and it's human nature. There's a part of us as humans where we want to give each other those examples of like, oh, you're not alone. So now you have to listen to my trauma. That's actually a form of trauma bonding where you're going to share your dirt. I'm going to share mine. Now we're going to have a connection, but really both of us feel invalidated because nobody's being heard. All that's happening is we both have the mic for a little while. And so we're venting at a wall. So that's not actually really going to help all that much. So when you're looking to do shadow work, it's always best to find someone who has the capacity to hold that for you without putting more stuff back onto you. It shouldn't be their opportunity to trauma dump or find other support people who are going through shadow work as well so that you can share that with them. When they're having their moments, you're having yours, and you can negotiate and give each other that space and even set terms around it. Like you can only respond in these ways. Like, I don't need you to problem solve for me. I don't need you to fix it. I don't want to hear about your stuff this time. I'll hold space for all those things for you next time. 
Let me just lay myself bare and have you tell me that you love me because we need that as human beings. We really need it as integral. I think that's why therapy is just, just magical in a lot of ways. I was a therapist for over 10 years. I don't think therapy gets to the root of most problems, but just to be able to sit in a room with someone who you know nothing about because they're never going to put it on you. You're not going to know their backstory. You're not going to know their trauma. They're just there to make you feel loved and safe and supported. It's worth all the money in the world just for that. And to get to access that deeper level. So, you know, when, when it comes to, it, it sounds like there's an element of, you know, is there theta healing involved? Is there subconscious reprogramming? It, it also sounds like with your backgrounds, uh, there may also be an element of therapeutic speech, but it doesn't end there. So I'm curious if someone were to be in your space in a group capacity, what would be an hour in the life of that experience? And we usually do our sessions for two hours. So you're stuck with me for two, but what it looks like is we're doing our shadow work sessions beforehand. I give them to you recorded reason being is because you have to be completely uninterruptible for the session. You can't be worried that the kids are going to get off the school bus or that your phone is going to ring or someone's going to knock on your office door. You have to be closed off because that's how you're going to actually get into theta brainwave state. So you're going to dive in and you're going to do that session. I always recommend for everybody doing it right before our sessions so we can just get right into what we're doing. And I let people choose the day and the time of the group so that they're sure that they can be, they're good. And then during that two hours, what we do is everybody's going to process aloud. So everybody's going to have the mic for a period of time and no one's allowed to take it away from them. You can't chime in and go, me too. Like, let me tell you about my thing. If it's Stephanie's turn, it's Stephanie's turn. And it's her opportunity to share and lay her heart open. And then my gifts as a psychic intuitive is I can see what you see. I can actually see people's memories. I can also see the memories of inanimate objects like houses and places and things like that. So I tap into the memory and I see it too. And if there's anything that you're missing, because our memories get distorted over time. Our brains reimagine memories over and over and over again as we create new neural cells. So if there's anything that you're distorting or missing, I can help nudge you to bring it back into view the way that it was meant to be or to pick up on the things that you're missing, like those long-term threads. And that's where my therapy background comes in. If there's any relational pieces that you're not picking up on or some obvious like psychosomatic stuff that's happening, I can bring your awareness to that to just bring the level of healing a little bit further. Before we start to, there's a lot of in-depth training to make sure that you're fully ready to see all these things. So we work on your own psychic abilities, strengthening those, bolstering them, making it so that you are so ready to dive in when the time comes, it happens in a cinch. So it sounds like a pretty holistic approach where it, it's not like you sign up for a class and you're just like, okay, like you're talking, people are chiming in like, oh, I, I feel that too. Or it, it's a very contained space, which is. is super important to really vulnerable topic. And, uh, you know, when it comes to that, that delicate balance of, you know, being really immersed in this work because of your personal experience and transforming into a leader in the space. So I, I'm curious about that transition from being someone who was being actively led through shadow work experiences to having that aha moment of, oh, this is actually my calling and becoming a leader in the space from there. Yeah, I think I realized it was my calling early, but I didn't want to step into leadership 
at all. I had no interest. I started working with Allison and I believe it was in like March of the year that we began. And I worked with her for about a year and a half, almost two years before she got sick. We were doing weekly to biweekly sessions and we were diving into the shadow over and over. And very, very quickly within the first two sessions, I was able to see things ahead of her where I was actually leading her through the sessions instead of her me. So once we were able to figure that out, she actually started training me in how to do it. She said, you're naturally, this is kind of like your sphere. You're able to tune into memories, which is what this is all about. Let me help you fine tune. We went through all of my stuff and then we got exploratory because there's only so much shadow that we're really holding onto. It's not something you have to do for a billion years. Everybody thinks shadow work is never ending. It really isn't never ending. It doesn't have to be because once you get the big things out of the way, those like gigantic boulders that are clogging you up and blocking you when they're gone, now it's just for funsies. Now we're just out there exploring and going like, what gifts did I have in other lifetimes? What are strengths that I had as a child that I've forgotten about because of things people said to me over time? Where can I pull from to really integrate that into my body? And so being a leader was something I never intended on. But when Allison got sick and we stopped doing sessions, right before that point, the pandemic hit. And she said, I think it's time for you to now start doing this with other people. And so she and I together started hosting circles for women who were having struggles during the pandemic and also to really do some grid work around like helping heal the planet and like bringing good energy and good stuff to people. And it was from there that I really got that confidence to go on. No, I'm actually good at this. I should be doing something with it. It probably took me another six months or so to really trust myself enough to go, I can actually make this into something big and I can really make an impact because for me, it's not leadership just for the sake of being a leader. I want to make an impact. If I'm not making people feel better, if I'm not making someone's life better, then what am I doing? Like, there's no point. I'd rather just be at home with my kids playing and I'm not going to do that stuff. So it really became about being of service and how can I impact as many lives as possible on various levels? Because not everybody's ready to dive into the shadow. Some people are okay with reading the book. Some people can't even do that. Some people will go to the day long conference. Some people won't even do that. So I diversify enough that I can get people wherever they are so that they can find ways to really start to heal themselves. It's obvious that you are so dedicated to this as a calling where any potential insecurity or ego, you are like, okay, that can go to the side as you do the work that you're here to do. And I also think it's a beautiful illustration of leadership that your mentor recognized your ability And instead of reacting from a place of, oh my gosh, my student is potentially, you know, accelerating at a rate that I can't even fully support or, you know, going into a sort of spiral, again, being led by that higher calling and the collective nature of a calling, uh, it sounds like she was really able to meet you where you were at. So this is another just great lesson that you've illustrated for leaders, especially leaders working with leaders and, you know, In that realm, when it comes to creating not even just a heart center, but a soul led brand empire, let's say that someone watching or listening is they know they want to do that someday or they're embarking upon it right now. What would you have to say to them? I think my parents really taught me a good lesson on this one. My entire life, and this is because of their own traumas, they've always really tried to reinforce the idea that they want myself and my siblings 
to leave them, to, to literally leave them in our dust. Like they want us to do so well with our lives, to have so many things go right and go well that nothing they ever did could ever compare. And they're both very successful. So that mindset for me is something that I take into everything. And I recognized that in Allison too, that as I grew and I started to become known for this work, she was back in my corner right behind me going, yes, I'm so proud of you. Like you rocked this. You killed this interview. You were amazing on TV. I saw the thing. And for me, I actually feel the same way about every student that I have. My hope my dream, the thing that I really, I root for deep down in my bones is I want them all to surpass me so far that they leave me in their dust. Because if that's true, and if they can do that, and if they can become those prominent people in the spiritual world, it means that we have more healers and more leaders who have done their shadow work, which means the world is going to be a better place. And that's all I could ever hope for. And another beautiful component of this is what you're talking to is really this selflessness. And it's kind of a contrast to the, the branding and marketing of selfish <laughs> Actually, yeah, let's kind of break that down. And Okay. I think about them totally differently, but it's interesting that that paradox too, because that is cool. For me, being selfish actually has to do with just filling yourself up, like coming from a place where you make sure that you are so cared for and so loved and so embodied in the work that you do, that being selfless doesn't take anything away from you because you have so much to give. It doesn't even matter. So for me, the conference really started from my cervical cancer journey where I felt like I had everything taken from me. I had nothing left to give my doctors, my team, the oncologists, nobody really knew how to help me, nor did it feel like they cared all that much. I was just a number on a list of people that they were cutting open that day. And that was how it felt as I moved through. Being a licensed therapist at the time meant that I had resources that other people don't have. And I still didn't feel like I was even scratching the surface on what I had to do to help myself through with the trauma that I experienced over the few months time with surgery after surgery after surgery and constantly being worried about, is this the phone call where they're going to tell me I'm dying? Like I just kept waiting for it. I'm getting goosebumps now talking about it. So self-care, being selfish means saying fuck you to everybody who makes you feel like you can't take that time for yourself because you need it. It can't be something that's on the back burner. You can't think about like, I'm a mom. I can't put all of my energy into making sure that they are taken care of. If I'm not taking care of me first, if I'm a mess, I'm not going to be a good mom. I'm not going to be a good wife. I'm not going to be a good healer. I'm not going to do anyone any good. So being selfish for me is like on an airplane when they tell you if the plane is going down, put the face mask on yourself first, that's being selfish. You put it on yourself first. You make sure that you can breathe and then you check in on those around you because when you fill your cup up that high, man, you can do anything. And I am a freak about self-care. I took an hour and a half long bath this morning. It was glorious. There were rose petals in it. And then I meditated and it was so lovely. And then I journaled and then I saw my clients. I had a one-to-one client today where we did some really profound stuff. And then I had a mentorship client where we were able to dive into the energetics of her business and how she's going to show up to help other people. I wouldn't have been as good if I didn't do that other stuff first. I owe it to them, but I really owe it to me. And 
if anyone watching is thinking or feeling triggered by, oh my gosh, you took an hour and a half bath with rose petals and it wasn't even your birthday, then hey, <laughs> let this be an invitation. Oh my God. Like, I know. I would have been triggered by me before shadow work because before I did any of this stuff, I was working I'm private practice therapy. I had 40 hours of clients a week. Paperwork for 40 hours of clients takes half an hour per client. I was also a professor at Penn State University's Brandywine campus, which is about 45 minutes away with no traffic. So I went there, dropped my kids off at daycare. They were there by 7 a.m., drove to campus, taught three classes in a day, drove over to my private practice, saw clients until 9 30, 10 o'clock at night. I didn't even have time to eat. I was eating protein bars on the way to and from places. I was chugging bottles of plastic water that were on the floor of my car, shower, bath. There was no time for any of that stuff. I just didn't have time, but I did it to myself. I created that world and I created my illness. I saw all the signs and symptoms leading up to it. I had so much mental illness, physical illnesses, like shingles, things that no one in their 20s should experience. But the level of stress that I had was overwhelming. Panic attacks. I was a wreck, but I just kept going because it's what you're supposed to do. And to everybody else, I looked really successful. I looked like I had my shit together. And in fact, I was drowning. So I hope this triggers somebody because this might be that nudge in the direction of figuring out what life wants to look like for you. What is it that you really desire to do and how can you create that and what fears are coming up? Because that's what you're going to do some shadow work around. Yeah. And I mean, I I love this invitation to really embrace the trigger. That's what shadow work is all about. And that leads us to begin to wrap up. I still have so many more questions, but Hey, you know, (laughs) you uh, so, you know, with everything that you've shared and everything that you stand for, that that you are beginning to bring into the world, even in the future as well, in addition to expand the collective consciousness around embracing the shadow, how do you define ambition? I think for me, ambition really has to do, and I've always been ambitious. It has to do with having a goal, like something in mind, some manifestation that you want to bring to life and being inquisitive enough to start to figure out the steps to get there. Wonderful. And what does holistic ambition mean to you? Maybe in a word or a phrase? I think I have to give it a statement because holistic ambition to me means not losing yourself on the way to doing all of that. So you need to hold yourself. You need to take care of yourself. You need to trust your body. You need to tap in and go, what do I need right now on that journey? Because you're not going to make it if you don't. And so let's say that, you know, I'm sure there are people listening, people watching that are curious, okay, shadow work, whether they're new to it, whether they've dipped their toes in, whether they feel like they've already been drowning in it, but maybe it wasn't quite even shadow work. How can these people stay connected with and learn more about you? So I'm everywhere on social media, whether it's YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, everything is at IAM Danielle Massey. And then that's also my website. You can buy my book right on there, but you can also find it at every major book retailer. And then a lot of local crystal shops. I get tagged in posts all the time from random places in like Canada and like the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, where it's like our crystal shop has shadow work. So Look around, you'll find it, and that's going to be the beginning. But definitely do not hesitate to start looking online for 
all the free information there is, because you can start this work for free and you can start doing it safely and trusting your body with all the tools that are out there until you're ready to really do that deep dive in. Thank you for tuning in to Holistic Ambition. This is Stephanie Toma saying goodbye for now and inviting you to take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time. Thank you.